The Old Testament reading for this, the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 55th chapter. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. This reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the first chapter. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for a sermon this morning, comes according to St. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. 
He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As many of you probably know, I have worked a number of jobs before I was a pastor. One of them was, I was a grocery store worker in Minneapolis. Marshy's Super Value, which I believe is now underneath a bank or something. It's no longer there. But while it was there, we had, of course, the usual assortment of workers at a grocery store in a city. And when we would finish our shift, every now and then we would go to the back to the time clock to punch out. And somebody who was on the same shift as us would be sitting there at the table. And one day I was kind of curious about this because it seemed to be the same guy all the time, just sitting there at the end of his shift. And so I asked him about it. I said, why exactly are you sitting here? It's time to go. Let's get out of here. Well, you see, he had heard from the bookkeeper that Marshy's super value always rounds up to the nearest 15 minutes if it's more than one minute beyond the clock time. And so when his shift was over at 3 o'clock, he would go sit at the table and wait until 3.02. Because then, by clocking out, he had earned an extra 15 minutes of pay. Now, once we heard about this, those of us who were dutifully clocking out at 3 o'clock, as we were called to do, what was our response? We were incensed about this. And we took up the old familiar cry, even though it had no impact on our life whatsoever, even though it had been happening for years and we had just found out about it, but now that we found out about it, what was our cry? That's not fair. How dare this person get more than I do? How dare this person use the loophole in order to get more than they deserve? How dare they not tell us about this sooner so we could sit at the table for two minutes as well? You see, when you consider yourself a good person, you want things to be fair when it comes to your job. And if not fair, at least in your advantage. When you work eight hours, you get paid eight hours. And if somebody else doesn't work that, they shouldn't get paid it. 
When you call in sick, you should lose that pay. Unless, of course, it's you. You should punch your time card in right. You should record your hours honestly. And that is exactly what you should get. And so when we hear this parable of the workers in the vineyard, when we hear about God hiring people to go out into his field early in the morning and then later in the day and then at midday and all the way late into the evening, we look at this and we say, that's not fair. And that's what God shows us in this parable. He is not fair. The master of the vineyard calls people to work for different amounts of time. He goes out early in the day at the beginning of the workday, and as was the custom at the time, goes to the village square where employable men and women are waiting for jobs. And he finds a group and says, You, I will give you a denarius, that is a day's wages, a fair wage, to go out and work in my field. And they say, Yes, we will go. They're happy to go. And then he goes out later, And he finds more people who have not been hired and says, you, go into the field as well. And you, go into the field as well. And I will pay you what is right. And then, as the day winds down, everybody comes to get their pay. And you guys who worked all day long, here's the denarius that we agreed upon. Here's the day's wages that you said this is good and fair and right. And you guys that just got here an hour ago, well, here's a denarius for you, too. Who grumbles about this situation? It's certainly not the ones who got there late. None of the guys who got hired in the 11th hour go, whoa, 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 that's really not fair. I've only been here an hour. I'm going to give you most of this back. No, they probably look at the coin and go, sweet, and take off before the master can change his mind about the whole thing. They realize what a gift they've been given. But who grumbles about it? The ones who have worked all day long. Even though they got paid exactly what they agreed to, even though they are not being treated unfairly, even though their pay is unaffected by anybody else's, they gripe and they complain. They're getting a full day's wages for just one hour of work? What are they, government workers? That's not right. That's not fair. Now it's interesting to note that the master specifically instructs that the last hired worker gets paid first. Had the first workers been paid first, they probably wouldn't have even noticed what the others got. They wouldn't have cared or cried foul one bit because they had gotten what they deserved and they just, it would have been out of sight, out of mind. But instead, they are made to watch those lazy 11th hour workers get their pay only to realize that it's exactly what they're receiving as well. I mean, it's almost like the master did it on purpose as a teachable moment. Because it is. In the parable, of course, the master of the vineyard is God. And what he's giving out, it's much more than a day's wages. It's heaven itself. It's salvation. It's eternal life. 
Some Christians have been Christians all their life, working hard to toe the line, turning their backs on the sinful pleasures that the world has to offer for so very long, fighting the good fight from the time that they were young until their dying breath. And it's difficult living a life like that. It is difficult to stand against the tide of wickedness and evil that this world keeps dumping upon us. And so when we see people turning to faith after lives of rampant rejection and sin, so often we react just like the first workers did, shouting, that's not fair. We've worked hard and they get the same thing that, they, that we do. They get the same heaven as those of us who fought our sinful urges all of our lives, who worked hard to stand against the society. These guys, who most of their life did not care about Jesus, get to go to the same eternal paradise that we do. That's not fair, we think. But ask yourself this. What peace do we as lifelong Christians have in this world? Knowing God's word, benefiting from it our entire lives instead of waiting until the end. Knowing what awaits us at the end of our lives from a very early age on. You see, those of us who grumble about those 11th hour converts, it comes from a flawed assumption that sin is good. That we're missing out on something by not living a depraved life. We assume that those who don't believe are having so much more fun than we are. That the sinful ways of the world are great. That we are missing out on something wonderful and they've got it good while we've got it terrible. But go back to the parable. Those who weren't working in the morning, yeah, they may have been resting in the shade. They may have been sitting around trading knock-knock jokes all morning. But here's the truth. They didn't know whether they would be hired or not. They didn't know if they would bring home anything or not. They did not know if they were going to eat that day. They did not know if they were going to be able to provide for their families that day. Is that the good life? Is that something that we should be jealous of? Just as those who don't know Christ in their lives have no real peace or assurance, no matter how hard they try to hide that fact. They don't know what awaits them after death. They don't know that the God who created all things loves them enough to die for them, has taken away all of their guilt, has given everything so that they can be restored and redeemed as his beloved children. They don't have that peace that we have. They don't have that confidence. They live in constant terror. Do we really want that? The insecurity and emotional scars of infidelity, as the world tells us, just do whoever you want. The slavery of being addicted to pleasures that never actually satisfy us, but make us want more and more and more. The strain of living to impress others. The lawlessness, the chaos and self-destruction of a life without boundaries. That's what sin is. The devil tries to convince you it's the good life. The world says this is the best way to live because you don't have to answer to anyone. But should we really envy living lives, those who are living lives of sin apart from God's grace and guidance 
and guarantees? Absolutely not. It is not a joy to live in terror and uncertainty. And so while the work may be hard, it is a blessing to be in that field all day long, to have the assurance of knowing exactly what will happen to you at the end of the day, you will be given the denarius. You will be given salvation because God himself has promised it. And yes, many Christians lived long lives of sin before being brought to faith by God's word. Some never knew about God until high school. Some rejected God for most of their adult lives. Some pushed God away right up until their deathbed, living without faith until their final minutes. And you know what? All the while, they were being robbed of peace. Peace of knowing what's in store for them. Peace of knowing that they are loved by God. Peace that comes only through Christian faith. Those who have worked in the field all day have no reason to be jealous of that kind of life. Theirs are lives of terror, uncertainty, and questions. A life of constantly seeking meaning and purpose until they are called to the field, until God's word works faith in their hearts and they are given true peace and rest in their labor. And yet, no matter when they are brought in by God, each worker receives the same, the gift of eternal life. And you know what? That still isn't fair. Not at all. Because it's not fair that any one of us should receive that denarius of eternal life. Look at your own life. Do you really think you deserve heaven, no matter how many hours you've worked in the field? By our own works and deeds, nobody deserves a day's wages from God. Nobody deserves salvation, whether we have worked all our lives or not one bit. Because God's standard is absolute perfection. He is holy. And even one sin, one act of disobedience, one rebellious thought separates us from him, and we've blown it. We're the workers in the vineyard who are breaking off the plants left and right, knocking over other people's buckets, eating all the grapes that we pick, and leaving none for the work for the vineyard. We are terrible workers. We've all sinned. From the moment of our conception, sin is who we are. It is our very nature. And by rights, we deserve to be cast out of God's presence for all eternity. And so when we read this parable and we shout, not fair, we are absolutely right. Someone is getting the short end of the stick here. Someone is getting ripped off. But that someone isn't us. It's God. What God gives us, it's nothing that we've earned. It is what he has earned. The master at the end speaks of his generosity. He doesn't say, well, these guys who came in the 11th hour, they worked harder than you did, so they deserve it. Not a word of that. The work is irrelevant. It is the generosity of the master. He is giving of his own treasures, and none of the unemployed workers had any right to expect that. By our sinful nature, God owes us absolutely nothing but out of love and grace and mercy. God gives us of his own treasures. He gives us himself. 
He gave us himself as he took on our flesh to walk among his sinful creation. He gave us his sorrow as he wept over the sinful world, faced the same temptations that we face each and every day. He gave us his very life as he died on the cross in agonizing, excruciating pain in order to forgive our sins, to pay the price, the penalty that we had earned. He gave us the victory of eternal life as he rose from the grave and says, just as I have risen, you too shall rise. He gave us his heavenly kingdom as he has made us his sinful, rebellious creation into his holy and righteous children. How often have you heard or used the phrase that God speaks through the prophet Isaiah in our Old Testament reading today? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When do we normally hear that? When something really bad happens, right? A loved one dies unexpectedly, our house burns down, or a natural disaster strikes, and we comfort ourselves with these words, that God's ways are not our ways, and we are right to do so. But did you notice the actual context where God speaks these words first? I'll admit it, I had actually not noticed it until I was looking at these readings a few years ago. God is talking not about disaster and troubles in our lives, not about the awful things that we won't understand. He's talking about forgiving us. He says, even though you're wicked, even though you don't deserve it, I'm compassionate, I'm merciful, I'm gracious. I will pardon all your sin." Because my ways are not your ways. You don't deserve it. You don't need it. We need it, but we haven't earned it. It's all about God's grace, his generosity, his mercy. And so we don't begrudge God his generosity. We celebrate that his generosity has saved us and others as well. We give thanks that he has called us by his word. That he continues to call us and refresh us by that word and sacraments here in the church. We thank God each and every minute of our lives that our salvation comes from his generosity and not from our flawed, miserable deeds. Those who have been in the field all day give thanks that God has given them that peace of assurance for their entire lives. Those who are called to the field late give thanks that God has put an end to their terror and doubt. All of us give thanks that we are not saved by our own works, but rather by the gracious and free gift that God has provided for each and every one of us. We celebrate when others are saved, celebrating the fact that we are not working alone in his field, sharing the word with others. We rejoice that when the workday is done, we can all rest together in the loving arms of our Heavenly Father. When we read this parable, our human nature cries out, it's just not fair. And we're right. But we're right for the wrong reasons. We who have been given salvation early in life, we need not be jealous that God gives the same gift to all who believe. We need to stop thinking that those outside the Christian faith have it better somehow just because they can live like animals. 
That's not a life to be jealous of. We need not begrudge the master's generosity. The only one treated unfairly here is God himself. But out of love, out of grace, out of a mercy that we will never understand, God willingly takes on that unfairness, willingly shoulders the entire load while we receive the reward. Our salvation isn't fair, and thanks be to God for that. It's not based on when we started working or how hard we've worked. Our salvation, our forgiveness, our absolute promise of eternal life in heaven, it comes only from the generosity of our Master, from the price that He Himself paid upon the cross. And because of that price, because of His indescribable love, we have peace and forgiveness and salvation and eternal life with Him. We have absolute assurance that no matter how hard the work, no matter how terrible this world gets, heaven itself awaits us. We can now work with joy and peace, giving thanks that we have been called to labor in the field of our Lord, celebrating with those who work by our side, no matter when they join us, simply because we know the glorious truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that by the grace of God alone, Through the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.